After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at was be, what, about what was being said of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the long passage that I just read is the conclusion of Luke's version of the birth narrative of Jesus. Now, all of you who came to Christmas Eve services, you heard the passages right up to that point, but did not hear that part of the story. Now, I have to admit that it's not as spectacular as the first part. The early part is filled with a lot of suspense and drama. It has wonderful visitations of angels and wonderful prophecies and the most spectacular event imaginable. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among all whom he favors. And if we add to Luke's story, the Matthew story in its parts, we have more visitations of angels and a miraculous star that leads the Magi from someplace far away in the east. And not only do they travel all this great distance and survive that journey without being robbed or meeting any other mishap, 
they actually find the baby Jesus. Well, by comparison, this story is rather mundane and ordinary. We have this poor peasant couple, Joseph and Mary, going about these routine, unexciting, legalistic requirements of the Jewish law. These are the everyday, very common rituals that any devout Jewish family would perform. It's not spectacular. It's not exciting. Then there's this old man, Simeon, in the temple that day. There's nothing spectacular about an old man at the temple. When old age brings a man closer to death, it's not unusual for him to try to get serious about matters of faith. However, in Simeon's case, it appears he's been very devout his whole life long. He's a spiritual man, and he has a well-developed relationship with God. In fact, he's been led by the Holy Spirit to come to the temple this day. Simeon was very close to God, and he was receptive when God's Spirit would touch his heart and allow him to perceive the divine presence at the temple that day in this event unfolding before his eyes. Now Anna the prophet, who is now 84, she was also there, but that wasn't unusual either. For we're told she never left the temple. She was always there following the spiritual disciplines of fasting and prayer day and night. Now the main reason that Luke is telling us about Anna and Simeon is because he's trying to establish the credibility of their witness to the special nature of this Jesus. He was establishing their trustworthiness, but accidentally he tells us something else that is equally important. He's showing us this spiritual truth, which is that those who practice the spiritual disciplines of worship and prayer of studying the scriptures are better able to see and perceive the divine presence in the midst of the ordinary events of life. This is so important because we tend to emphasize the miraculous things, those stories in the Bible that have all of this great drama and pizzazz. We do it so much so that we set up unrealistic expectations in some people's minds. They expect visitations from angels or to be struck by lightning or have some very dramatic event to occur to show them that, yes, God is real. Our overemphasis on the miraculous tends to make people look for tangible, physical proof for their faith. But we believe that's really an unhealthy expectation because God does not violate the natural order of this physical world that he created just to give us miracles to make us believe. We believe God uses other ways to communicate with us. Simeon and Anna did not get any spectacular proof that this ordinary-looking baby had divine powers. Jesus did not walk on water that day. He did not heal anybody that day. He didn't feed 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fishes that day. Rather, it was the faithful devotion of those spiritual disciplines which gave Anna and Simeon this gift of discernment 
this ability to perceive the divine within this very ordinary happening at the temple. Luke is showing us that those who are faithful and wait upon the Lord, their faith will eventually be rewarded. That's not a new idea. It's a recurring theme throughout the Bible. Anna and Simeon had been waiting and watching their whole lives long, waiting and watching for the Messiah. And the message to us is that if we want to experience the divine presence in our lives, if we want to sense God's Spirit moving in our lives and in our world, then those boring old routine rituals of devotional reading and and prayer and coming to worship and Sunday school all the time, that's the way to train our eyes and our ears to perceive. Like Simeon, at some times we will feel that spirit urging us to go somewhere and to be present sometime when something wonderful is happening. In all my years of ministry, I cannot count the number of times that one of the dear saints of the church has told me about this mysterious urgency that they felt sometime to attend some service or to go someplace. And when they responded to that nudge, that urging, they discovered that they were at the right place at the right time to receive a blessing or to be a blessing to someone else. You may have experienced that too sometime. You didn't feel much like coming to church one day or staying for Sunday school one day, but your conscience, your sense of duty, your self-discipline got you up and got you there. And it was that very time when you struggled to not respond, but did respond when some blessing really important happened that time. In my own ministry of pastoral care, there are so many people with hurts and sorrows and concerns. I know that I'm missing a lot of people every day, but sometimes my schedule gets disrupted for visiting the hospital or nursing homes, and it gets changed, and that crisis or problem that put me out of my schedule and makes me really late, sometimes into the early evening to get to the hospital, that very lateness often puts me at the right place at the right time to be present for someone who needs a prayer or needs someone to hold their hand or, or more times than not, it's just they've got a boatload of sorrows and troubles that they just need to tell somebody about. And I'm there to listen. I remember one day I was late when I was coming into St. Francis and someone else from our church was going in at the same time and I said hello and asked, what, who are you coming to see? And they weren't coming to see anybody. They were coming themselves. They were checking in for an emergency surgery uh, that they were needing and they were just, you know, getting in. So I helped them find where they needed to be and, and get settled in for the pre-op procedures and had a prayer with them and and so I was able to be there and to be helpful that time. And not long ago, there was this one situation where one of our dear members had been in ICU for weeks and weeks. But one morning, I was there to see him. They had just weaned him from the respirator. And he was trying so hard to tell me something. I could hardly understand his words because that tube had been down his throat for so long. And he was so hoarse and raspy. But I thought 
what I heard him saying was, tell them to let me go. Let me go. I'm ready to go. So I said back to him what I thought he was saying, and with all the energy he could muster, he said, yes, yes. Well, that next afternoon, I, my schedule had gotten messed up, so I didn't get to ICU to check on him until late that afternoon. And the family had gathered in ICU, and the medical staff were kind of busy and scurrying around kind of frantically. And I was told that they had to make a decision right now whether to do the heroic intervention again or to let him go. And I said, I think this is must be a God thing. Let me tell you what he told me yesterday morning. And when I told them, it just confirmed what they were feeling and what the medical staff had said. It's time. It's time to let him go. And they were at peace with that decision. Well, sometimes... With 8,000 members, one might think that these coincidental times where I'm at the right place at the right time is just a, a high probability. However, I like to draw upon that little expression that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Perceiving the divine within the ordinary is what the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, is all about. God became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could learn that God is with us all the time, whether we sense it or feel it or not. But through the eyes of faith, the divine can be perceived in these common ordinary events. We see that Jesus demonstrated this fact when he called the disciples. He recognized the divine calling and purpose in the lives of all these very ordinary common folk that he called to be his disciples, the fishermen, the tax collector, even these very radical political activists called zealots. Jesus could see the divine within these ordinary people, and he saw the potential and the possibilities he believed in them and helped them learn to believe in themselves. Well, I got to thinking about how parents might raise their children if someone like Anna and Simeon told them that this baby has a special divine purpose in life. If a person grew up with parents who had heard that and believed that, maybe they would raise their children differently. A part of our theology is the belief that every human being is a special child of God who is loved by God, and each person has some God-given purpose for being. At Christmas time, we think about the baby Jesus, but whenever we baptize a newborn baby any time during the year, a part of our theology of infant baptism is that the infant does not have to demonstrate worthiness or prove to have special talents or to profess or promise anything in order to be deserving. The infant is loved because the infant is. With the eyes of faith, we perceive things this way and we promise 
when we participate as a congregation in the infant baptism to help that child discover and learn that divine calling and purpose because he or she is indeed loved by God. But unfortunately, we know that in early childhood, some children have terrible experiences and they grow up feeling like they are damaged goods. They feel like they're worthless. The life situation has made these children feel devalued and discarded like some piece of trash. And sadly, in the real world, some children that grow up that way become adults and we often encounter them as rude, selfish, sometimes violent and mean-spirited. And that makes it hard for us to believe that everyone is a special child of God. It's a real challenge to hold on to that belief when you've been mugged or your home broken into and you've been stolen from. Also, when we see these endless TV clips, the results of suicide bombings that kill and maim and injure so many, so many people, and not to mention the people who get these assault weapons and shoot up schools and killing innocent children and their courageous teachers. But when we learn that the recruits for the suicide missions often come out of social and political and economic conditions that tell these young people they have no future and the regimes they live under treat them and all their people like discardable trash, we can understand how important it is to try to help young people like them get the right idea about a divine calling and purpose to do good and to be a blessing. We've also learned that a big part of the mental illness of the mass shooters is that they are often loners, feeling rejected or bullied, but nearly all of them unloved. They feel unloved. From psychology, we learned that our own self-image is greatly determined by what we see reflected in the eyes of those around us. If we see love and affirmation reflected in those eyes, then we grow up with a positive self-image. But if we only see criticism and condemnation, anger and resentment in the eyes of those around us, then we have a terrible burden of a, a very damaged self-image. A few years ago in the movie where Denzel Washington plays a Navy psychologist is, who is working with a young man, Anton Fisher, who was given a choice, go to prison or go into the military. Well, he chose the military, but I heard an interview on NPR with Anton Fisher where he was talking about his life and writing the script for this uh, screenplay. The interviewer asked Antoine about his childhood as a foster child being passed from home to home, and he described some of the abuse and how he grew up thinking abuse is normal. That's the way life is. And he said that one of his foster moms had told him over and over and over again, you will never amount to nothing because you come from nothing. Well, by the grace of God, a real-life Navy psychologist played by Denzel Washington recognized and believed in that divine spark in Antoine. And he was committed to help Antoine discover it for himself. 
Well, there are huge numbers of people locked up in our prisons, a high percentage of them having been children with learning disabilities who needed lots of extra help at some critical point in their education and schooling, but no one was there for them. Well, this is a strong testimony that there is still a need for believers who can recognize the divine within the ordinary, those unspectacular, mundane, routine, spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible study and coming to worship and hearing a sermon and hearing the hymns. Those things help us recognize and perceive the divine within the ordinary. And those same spiritual disciplines help us to tap into the spiritual resources that give us the courage and the motivation and the faithfulness not to give up on those people that are somewhat hard to deal with, but nevertheless, God sends our way. Amen and amen.